Heavenly Father, for 200 years, your church has gathered around your word. I think of those first people at that first service so many years ago, meeting in an old schoolhouse as they listen to your word. And we've continued this practice, Father, because your word is life-giving. And so we pray that you would continue to speak life into us through your word. Give us ears that hear and wills that are quick to obey. Speak, Lord, for your children listen. Amen. In 1820, none of this remarkable city was even imaginable. Standing on the lake shores of Lake Ontario in 1820, Toronto was this hard scrabble outpost in Upper Canada. What you would have seen is if you looked at the shore of Toronto, was a few scattered buildings along the marshy, swampy waterfront of the town called Muddy York. Toronto was not yet. Canada, it was not even yet. It would still be 14 years before this town would be officially known as Toronto, and it would be 47 more years until the nation of Canada was officially formed. But in 1820, God saw that this emerging global city needed the gospel. And so in his sovereign purposes, according to God's own heart, the hope of the gospel and the promise of God gave birth to a church, our church, you and me, Knox Presbyterian Church. On these northern shores of Lake Ontario, in God's plan, he sent daughters and sons to be salt and light in this city to be his church. He gathered a people to be a blessing for the city, to seek its peace. He saw that the need was going to be great, and so God miraculously supplied resources, providing land that would support the church for generations. God gave a bold faith. He gave a spirit of power, not one of timidity. And so God sent an unbroken line of evangelists, beautiful messengers who carried the good news of Jesus across the globe to South American rainforests and African plains, to European cities, to schools and orphans, to people of every culture. God gave also a vision to that church, a vision for the little, for the least, for the lost of the city. It would be a church where families would be welcomed. It would be a church where the marginalized and the hungry could find a warm meal and a welcome hug. God gave the vision to reach out to children in the summer, to give them one of the best experiences of their summer. And located later across from the university, God called this church to reach questioning students, helping them find truth. God saw that this city would need prayer, and so God gathered a people to intercede on the city's behalf, seeking God's face for the sake of Toronto. God saw that cities can be lonely places, so God made the church a loving family. He gave them a joyful song. God knit together a family of faith, hope, and love. And today, we celebrate 200 years of the privilege of being partners with God in his redemptive purposes and plans. You know, today we can remember so many names of people who made up this church. 
people who served and led and worshipped. We can think of all the different places that Knox has called home, all the different ministries that have made up this church, all the different historical moments that have occurred in the life of this church over the past 200 years. But in the midst of recalling all that wonderful history, let's not let it distract us from the absolute central truth of our story. And that is, it is all about what God has been doing, doing in and through us. It's about God building his kingdom here and in our lives. It is God's sovereign grace that is the single most distinctive element that brings coherence and meaning to these 200 years of history. And I hope at this moment, as we look back on 200 years of ministry as a church, I hope it leaves you with a heart filled with awe and gratitude. Who are we, Knox Church? Who are we that we get to be part of this? That we get to celebrate the privilege of God calling us to be partners in his mission, in his eternal purposes. Well, King David was having a similar moment to that in that passage we just read. In this passage, we find King David, who is really at the peak of all his powers. David, for years, uh, has been leading Israel as it battled all these different nations that surrounded it. For centuries, Israel had been harassed and oppressed by surrounding nations. But now David, after all sorts of military successes, have all his enemies... They bent the knee to David. And he was beginning to stabilize the political, the economic, the civil environment in which Israel lived. He was just crowned as king. And so he's in power. He's in full control. There was peace and life was good. Life was really good. But this was a moment of great temptation for David. Because as David pauses right now to sort of look back on all this goodness that has come his way, there, this was a moment where his heart could have so easily crossed the line and, and David could have become so full of himself. Here he was, top of the world, right? I wonder if that's a similar temptation for us as we look back on 200 years, looking back on this really rich history of ministry. It might be easy for us to become full of ourselves. We become sort of puffed up with a certain pride. David doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he sits down before God, just plants himself in the presence of God. And there he recounts and recalls this goodness that has come his way. And he is moved to awe and wonder. David, he, he's, it's like he's literally confounded by all the grace that has come to him as he re, re, reviews this history of goodness, of God's action. And he asks this string of questions. It just sort of flows out of him. And they're really not questions to God. They're more like worshipful wonderings. They're, they're like these praise-filled ponderings. Who am I, God? Who am I that all this grand, glorious grace is landing right in front of me in my life? And who are my people, God, that you have brought us this far? And think of it, who is David, after all, that God would choose to use him? He was just the shepherd boy, right? He was the runt of his family. Samuel, when prophet Samuel came to anoint a king, came to David's family, all of David's brothers were brought out. David wasn't even considered at the time. He was the youngest. He was the smallest. The bunso, as some people call them. And yet God chose him. And who's Israel? This 
people. This gaggle of Bedouins, this nation of former Egyptian slaves, who is Israel that God would make them his chosen people, that God would set them aside for his holy purposes? And who are we? Who are we, Knox Church, that God would choose us to be part of this good ministry? Who are we? We bring no credentials, no sterling moral resume that would say, oh yes, you're the ones. Who are we that God has brought us thus far? That God, that we have received so much of God's ongoing care, his providence, his provision. Who are we, God, that you have guarded and guided, you have protected and provided for us? And it's not only just these past 200 years. We can even stretch our imagination beyond those 200 years to think of God's guiding hand throughout history. Who are we, God, that you would include us in these eternal promises, in this plan that was devised before time, and yet somehow, God, you include us? It's staggering. Which is what David is feeling. God has revealed to David just a little glimpse of his plan. He has promised to David, David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to set a dynasty through your line. And through that line, it's the redemption of the whole world. What David is being told here is that he is this integral part of God's redemptive plan in the world. God's eternal kingdom that is coming to this world through which everything is going to be healed. And through David, the king, would come the king of kings, Jesus Christ, the son of David, who would come to save all people. David didn't know this, of course, but he knew God had this eternal plan that was being worked out and that he was included in that. And he is staggered by it. Now, today we know the larger story that David didn't know of what God was at work doing in this world, of how God came to earth through Jesus Christ, through the son of David, showing us grace and truth. We know how Jesus died, how he rose again as part of God's plan and purpose. And we know how God has now raised up his church as his people, his chosen witnesses, pointing to the coming of God's kingdom, showing the world the good way of Jesus. We know this story. We know the divine purposes they have continued to today. And our brief history is caught up in that beautiful, massive, larger story of God and what he's doing in the world. God saving, God healing, God blessing the city, God renewing lives and restoring creation, God redeeming all things. This is our sacred history because Knox, God has included us in this. God has said, I choose you to be part of this too. David is lost in awe of God. I love his response. Is, is this your usual way of dealing with people, oh sovereign God? He's just <laughs> taken aback completely. Is this the sort of lavish grace and goodness you usually operate with God? Is such a faithful, promise-keeping, tender mercy, rich provision, constant care. Is this your usual way, God? And today, as we celebrate, we say yes and amen. This is God's usual way. This is what we've experienced for the past 200 years. God's usual ways of extraordinary grace. The utter privilege for us to participate with God. 
And David feels just the inadequacy of uh, words to fully account for the greatness and the goodness of God. And it, he's just lost. How great are you, sovereign Lord? There is no one like you. Now, what's David so amazed about? Remember, David has just asked prior to this, David has asked God, I want to build you a temple. But the word came back and said, nope, you're not going to build a temple. Now, this was a typical thing for kings in those ancient cultures to do. It was typical for a king who began to develop military success to establish himself, to build a god, a huge temple, and then the god would establish the king's power, the legitimacy of the king, establish the king's victories. But God said no to David. No, David, you're not going to build me a house. I will build you a house. Now, why is that? Because, and here is where David is just blown away, where he's left speechless. Because every other religion works on the principle, you build God a house and then God will bless you. You do something for God and then God will bless you. But God is saying, I'm different than all other gods, David. I'm the God of sheer grace. I'm the one who's going to build you a house. I'm the one who's going to lavish on your life every form of grace. Utterly different. In every other religion, divine blessing is achieved conditionally. You do this, then I do that. But with the God of the Bible, divine blessing is poured out unconditionally. So David is just staggered by God's relentless commitment to him. God is saying, David, I am going to so graciously, unconditionally commit myself to you, regardless of your status, regardless of your performance and your credentials. I am going to so conditionally tie myself to you that neither death nor sin nor time itself is going to break that commitment to you. God, in his great love, is not going to be deterred by all that is wrong in the world, in the world or in us. God has determined that you and I and this whole world will become holy and fully alive, all that we are meant to be. And so this glorious God, the Lord of heaven and earth, has come among us in Jesus Christ, the son of David, the promised king, and he's our story. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus, the beginning and the end. Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory in his very body. Jesus, who walked this earth. Who, who lived among us, who died for us, who was resurrected to new life and now reigns over all things as king of kings. This, this is our story for the past 200 years of God making good on his promises to David, even to us today. The story of God with us. God providing all we need for life and flourishing. That we are loved beyond our wildest imaginings. That there is grace and mercy for every failure. That there's forgiveness for every sin. That there's justice for every wrong. That there's healing for all that's broken. And God raised Jesus from the dead. And he's seated on the throne. The son of David, the king. And all the life and power of Christ now comes to us. So that through the Holy Spirit, we have the power to join Jesus in his work, to do the things Jesus did. That is the incredible, staggering story that God has invited Knox to participate in for these past 200 years. And at this anniversary, it's probably the best thing for us to just be speechless. God, what can we say? Would you, would you just marvel at 
the wonder of this invitation from God. Meditate on the grace that is poured out to you and I, the sheer privilege of God including us in his purposes. And then David asks one more question near the end. He says, and who's like your people, God? Who are these people, God, that you have set the affections of your heart on them? You know, if you walk around this building, Knox Church, you're, you're going to come across a lot of different names all over the place. And not just names of Knox staff and employees on their offices, but you'll see rooms named for people, plaques with people's names on. You see the names of important leaders from our church who did significant things in the history of Knox. But I'm interested in other names as well. If you look close, you can find the names of many others who were part of God's people at Knox. Not historical figures, um, but mostly ordinary people, everyday saints. Makes me think of all the people who have come through the doors of Knox to worship. All those who were baptized, who came to faith. Countless people who walked out of these doors to live as people of faith in the city, who served in, in powerful, potent, but quiet and probably mostly unseen ways. Every one of them was a living stone that God built into a spiritual house. And you can add your names to that list too. All God's people, so loved by God, chosen by God, his beloved, his treasure, who is like your people, God? You know, today, a lot of people consider it good sport to make fun of the church, to name and enumerate all the very glaring flaws. And all the flaws of the church, they're real. They're disturbing. They're disheartening to see the, the ugly underbelly of God's people. And I'm sure David, at that time, he, he knew all the weaknesses of Israel. I mean, they were all too familiar, all the failings and flaws, the pettiness, the legalism, the injustice. But that's only part of the picture. To, to only see that would be to miss the bigger reality. Because David sees God's people with God's eyes. This people, this Israel, with all their faithless disobedience, with their fickle faith, their rebellion, their infidelity. But all David can say is, who is like this people, God? And again, not because of who they are, but it's because of God, because of his heart. God chose those people above all. God cared for and loved those people. God established those people as his very own. We can name so many flaws, so many sins of our past as a church. And that, that's an important thing for us to do. That's an important part of our remembering, to confess those sins, because God grieves those things. And yet, and yet God sees so much more than our sin. That is the gospel, isn't it? God sees with eyes of grace. The church is God's treasure. Can we also see the church through the eyes of God? Can we see it rooted in God's promises as people that God has set his love upon? It was according to God's heart that he did this that he chose us that he loved us nothing in ourselves to commend it right nothing to put forward and brag about and say god you owe this our only boast is in the cross of jesus christ the salvation that comes to us through his death and resurrection and because of the cross 
We are precious in God's sight. It's because of the faithful, sacrificial love of God that we are who we are. God's precious people. God's chosen people. Chosen before the foundations of the world. People who are loved, blessed, lavished with wisdom. We are, scripture tells us, kings and queens of the most high God. A royal priesthood made to participate in the purposes of God. And deep within these past 200 years of life, it's beautiful, bright moments of life and joy and it's deep recesses of grief and sin. Deep within those 200 years is this sacred history of God, this redemptive history. God at work. God doing what he has promised to do, building his kingdom. For 200 years, we've had the privilege of bearing witness to God's purposes and to the grace of Jesus Christ in Toronto and throughout the world. We have gotten to do this. What more can we say? And so now we turn to the future, which is what David does in this passage too. He's, he's lost in awe and wonder, and then he looks to the future and he prays. He's, he, that's all he can do. And really, that's all I want to do now, too, as we pivot from 200 years of looking back to now moving forward into what God has for us as the next chapter. I simply want to pray David's prayer with you. So would you join me now as we pray together, as we look ahead to God continuing to do what he's always done? Join us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Dependable God, we thank you for your constant love, for your unfailing promises. God, how grateful we are today that you can be trusted. We thank you, God, for this church, for generations of people who who we don't even know about, but trusted you enough to make sacrifices about which we've never heard. People who worked and prayed and sweated and gave and labored and dreamed. God, we thank you for generation upon generation who loved and obeyed you. And now, Lord God, you, the faithful promise giver, the faithful promise keeper, the one who has kept and guided and provided for us these past 200 years, your people are praying to you, God. And our prayer is this, do as you have said you would do. Jesus, the true king who puts all things right, do as you promised. You promised you would establish your kingdom of peace and justice, that you would bring your reign of goodness for all people. So Jesus, do as you promised. You promised that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So Jesus, do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Build your church here in Toronto at Knox. Build and bless it to be a faithful witness against all the forces that oppose it, against today's sweeping tide of secularism. God, unleash the story of Jesus and his matchless grace, the story of your kingdom, the kingdom's justice and compassion, the story of the person of Jesus, so it will sweep again across the GTA, across the world, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy. You have promised good things to your children. And so we pray that you would continue to use your people gathered here at Knox to be a life and hope, to be a torchbearer for the gospel, to be faithful witnesses to your kingdom of justice and righteousness. 
rooted in your promises, in faith, God, we believe the best is yet to come. So bless this house. Bless this church for generations to come. We trust that you stand ready to pour out greater blessings than we have ever yet seen. We praise you, God. We praise you for the utter staggering privilege of including us in your redemptive purposes for all creation. And with your blessing, your church will be blessed and will be a blessing for generations. To you be all glory, honor, and praise. And all God's people said, amen.